equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to One of Two Hundreds the independent political and media podcast we're here for our, our weekly current events wow what a week um lots of just hot garbage on the campaign trail as the it, it's not accelerating nothing feels like it's getting more intense just people like to or, or want to feel like it is um as the election draws nearer but the kind of vanilla vortex of national and labor and not allowing that to happen. There's just nothing there. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing, right? Because, like, the media is trying so hard to, like, make this election into an event and into a thing that happens. And, you know, we've got, like, fucking, like, live tweets on, on like, stuff every day. And, like, some of them are literally just, like, whatever, like, 19-year-old intern they have shadowing Chris Luxon being, like, Chris Luxon said that Hipkins is stupid. Um, like, it, it's... <laughs> it's it's fucking brain dead and they're trying so hard to like make it into this big event and big spectacle but the difficulty is is that they're fucking boring as shit and no one likes them um and so it's very difficult to make that exciting sorry for interrupting your monologue by the way kyle hey no absolutely absolutely interrupt me as much as possible um the less i'm talking the better for everyone uh but also welcome to the our podcast for the first time angela how you doing? Oh, just, just, just fantastic. Box of fluffy ducks, fresh as a daisy. Um, loving, <laughs> loving being awake and alive at ten o'clock on a Saturday morning, as I do every Saturday morning. Um, also joined by uh, my co-host Philip Nemestad. How you doing, Philip? Yeesh, kia ora. Good, good to be here. Hope everyone's well. Uh, love current events. Are some of my favourite events. Great. Um, <laughs> happy to have your enthusiasm here this morning. <laughs> um, and we've got Finlay as well. How are you doing, Finlay? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, let's kick it off. The really, I think the most important series of events this week was around the return of and then not return of Posey Parker or uh, Kelly Jane Keane, the anti-trans uh, activist from the UK who was going to come over here and do some something at the court appearance of Eli Rubashkin, who had poured juice over her uh, earlier in the year. Uh, she cancelled her trip, saying it was going to be too unsafe. A range of tragics were going to do their own protest uh, in her absence. And then, yeah, things things got a bit frustrating and weird um in the activist space over here it sounds like there was a, a pretty good turnout um and you know something was um thrown together as a counter protest in the end uh, finlay you were you were there do we just want to start by talking about how it was on the day like how the organizing was and yeah how it went down yeah yeah sure um i ended up uh helping out marshalling at the last minute um and it went really well, I think. Um, we It was a pretty difficult situation to be up against, I guess. Like, this is a Tuesday, oh, a Wednesday, middle of the week, middle of the day. Lots of people are working or studying. And, you know, we're up against largely uh, retirees and quite wealthy people who could get there pretty early in the morning uh, and set out camp. Um, 
and we kind of came down and the square was sort of divided, I guess, into our two kind of camps, the like transphobes and the trans people. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, I think it went really well. It was really well organized. Um, I can't really compare it to what happened in March, uh, at least in Auckland. Um, I was at the Ototahi uh, protest um, and in a lot of ways it was pretty different. Like down back home we had, I don't know, like maybe 15 Destiny's Church guys and like local far right. Whereas here there was, you know, there was like significantly more than that. And it was very much like this wasn't like a far right transfer rally. It was like kind of a turf rally. There were also like the far right there. Um, but it was like, yeah, quite a different situation to, I guess, what we had. I don't know how that would compare to, yeah, much up here. But yeah, there had been some threats made, I believe, on Twitter, which is, um, yeah, there was, in the end, like, no violence. And I don't think that there was, it didn't seem at any point like that was going to be a risk. They might have outnumbered us, um, but we still managed to show up and drown them out and show that, like, yeah, there is opposition to this. And that also, I think, particularly for a pretty young organisation like TLA, like, they can organise us and they can do it well. They had several police liaisons. They had you know, their own sort of initially weren't going to speak to press, but press showed up. And so they uh, did that and did it really well. Um, there was multiple field medics. There was uh, like a little field hospital. We had routes planned. We had uh, like places that we could all retreat to if we needed to. Like it was very much designed and organized so that like worst case scenario, there was a plan and we knew exactly what we needed to do. And that didn't happen. And it was great. And yeah, we chanted and we like danced to blow bubbles and sang and yeah, drowned them out, had a good time. And it was, I think it is important on like an emotional level for people dealing with shit to be able to like stand with other people and be like, hey, no, we actually like being alive and people like us being alive and we don't have to just kind of let people be openly hateful and violent. Can I, um, can I play the uh, least involved probably person? role um can you give us a, just a bit of background on who is tla like what is this organization who what kind of people uh organizing kind of different parts of it there's obviously some kind of cleavages um that you're kind of alluding to so just whatever kind of background you have on you know the structure of it and like what's changed maybe since when was it march the first protest yeah um so tla is the trans liberation alliance i believe they organized or were involved in organizing the protest in March as well. Um, and they really spearheaded this one. It is like a grassroots organization of mostly young trans people um, organizing. A lot of the people there um, and who are involved weren't with TLA. And I, like, I'm not a TLA member. I can't speak a lot to what they've done outside of this. But it was, yeah, it was really impressive to see, like, young organizers organizing and doing it really well. And, like, with support of other organizations and people from other organizations as well. Um, we were kind of more established in the space. It sounds, um, yeah, even though maybe there wasn't the turnout you'd hoped for, um, there was a lot of positivity there. I guess the other question is, um, and go, go into this as much as you want, why did it happen this way? Uh, because, you know, you alluded to March um a, a couple of times there where the turnout was enormous mm -hmm. and you know you could say okay it was on a weekend or 
yada, yada, yada. But there was a lot more to it than that, I think, this time around. And it's lucky that there was a, an organization mm. willing to jump in there and um, kind of fill that gap on on the organizing point and, and make sure it was safe and ensure that people turning up did have a flag to rally. Um, but that wasn't, you know, especially coming into the week, it didn't seem to be like a given. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that I was a marshal was because they had a lot of marshals pull out. And there's like kind of a maybe six-week sort of backstory to this. <laughs> We're primarily on Twitter. So if you haven't seen this, I'm happy for you. <laughs> Wish that <laughs> could be me. I could leave. Um, but a um, number of activists who Is primarily... to call them the great and the good? Of, of New Zealand leftism? Uh, maybe. Hard to know. Um, a, gosh, now my thought's gone. <laughs> a number of uh, people, primarily cis activists, had come out to say not only that they were not going to organise a protest, but that nobody should organise a protest. Um, the reason given was that it was too dangerous and that any like any resistance or any opposition would be too dangerous and risk anyone who was going, basically. And so for, you know, weeks, this has been kind of festering and more and more people on kind of both sides have jumped in to say, kind of share, I guess, their views about whether or not ultimately. <laughs> uh, That's such a polite way of putting it. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be polite. Um, whether or not in general, organizing against the far right is a good idea, or if it brings them oxygen, which is like, sorry, but bullshit. And also specifically, like, maybe we can do this for other things, but it's actually specifically too dangerous for us to do this for trans rights. We can organize other stuff, but for trans people, no, we can't do it, which is like transphobic and gross and Yeah, bullshit. that bit is interesting, <laughs> eh? It's like, yeah. you know, we've got fucking... Um... A really ugly Nazi guy, his name will come to me. He's famous. He burned down a Mariah one time. Kyle Chapman. Kyle. Like Kyle the Chapman. best name of the best name of all names. It's gonna be Kyle. Yeah, doing sorry <laughs> R.I.P. Kyle. Doing like, you know, fucking showing up in, you know, security details for the Julian Bachelor tour. And people are rightly counter protesting that because, you know, fuck those people. But it's like, okay, so you get literally got you know, Nazis in uniforms at, at these events and Yet the strategic risk of of you know trans people counter protesting again primarily a bunch of like grey haired old people who yeah um it's yeah I it, the the sort of strategic implications of of all of this were very interesting to me oh. I'm sorry to leave you much more involved in this so I don't want to like um drag drag away but, yeah. no no it is yeah it's it has been I guess it has been interesting to see where people who like where people come down on this and seeing like oh okay i can see that you know i mean i was seeing people saying that even any protest on a different day with trans people not connected to any far-right rally is also too dangerous and it like at that point it's like you don't want us wow. to exist in public yes yeah <laughs> or even not 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 protesting at all it's got to be a celebration of joy because mm -hmm. you know um like, sorry, but I don't feel very fucking joyful about this situation. And frankly, this fucking, like, Jacinda has left the building. 
We mm. never believed the be kind thing. That was a fucking lie. If you bought that, mm. you were stupid. And then, like, for some reason, though, you know, I saw this out of, um, yeah, a couple of people from from around the world too about, you know, oh, you know, it, it can't be a protest. It's got to be a celebration of, of love and joy and and all of that good stuff. And to me, like, that's just sorry. Could I I go on like a spiel about? Cool. Thank you. Um. So, yeah. So like. Um, as 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 you mentioned, Finlay, like a couple of weeks back, I mean, this primarily came out of the um, Aotearoa anti-fascist action accounts, or maybe yeah. the Tamaki and Makoto one. I can't remember which. Um, but they sort of like released this thing, being like, "Oh no, you can't do anything. It's too dangerous, and strategically, it's it's just not there." And um, yeah, I think. <sighs> I don't know. It was interesting. Like I'm a strategy wonk. That's that's my one claim to 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 having having any 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 sort of knowledge or involvement. But like from a strategic perspective, there were there were many things that were interesting about this. Firstly, is the strategy of openly discussing your protest strategies on fucking Twitter, which I don't think you should do. Um, and like potentially these 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 discussions in general shouldn't be happening on Twitter because before you even get to the actual like meat and potatoes of what people are or aren't doing is like when we're talking about strategy we're talking about strategic communications and when you just fucking telegraph to the world that like no we don't want anyone to do anything you know like we are not the only ones who can who can read that it's not like it's written in some magical font that that says people cannot interpret <laughs> so although like, th- or- Although Angela, now that you say that, that does give me a great business idea. We do need a transform. Like that that should probably <laughs> that can be our next great entrepreneurial scheme. I love it. Yeah, I think it could be, right? Um, I think it would be good to have some kind of, I don't know, way of communicating and organizing, frankly, without this involved a little bit sometimes. Um, but yeah, so firstly, I don't know, like talk strategy, and then it's like, okay, well, you've just declared that, you know, you don't want people showing up, that nobody's gonna show up. From a strategic perspective, if you were your adversary in this situation, right? Like, what does that tell you? It tells you you've got free reign to fucking do whatever you want. Um, so that that seemed insane. Um, first, sort of first of all, and then, like, I think the other thing too is that we're in an election year, and it's a bad election. And particularly for trans rights, it's it's not fucking good. Like at the moment, right? Like. I mean, both National and ACT have, like, been running test balloons about sort of transphobia. I don't think they've picked up on them for a whole bunch of reasons. But New Zealand first, you know, like, got taken that ball and absolutely run with it. If there are going to be coalition talks at some point involving New Zealand Mm -hmm. first, you're going to give the easy giveaways that don't hold at all in either direction. And unfortunately, that is where, where trans rights is looking as a sort of discursive, like, frame at the moment. So and, um, like, sorry. sorry, ACT were, there was an, there were people, there was at least one guy in, like, ACT regalia at the protest oh, fucking great. with fucking the TIFFs. Like, even though they have been, like, slightly quieter on it, like, that is where they stand. And, I mean, has been for a long time. Seymour has been kind of with Speak Up for Women for, like, hosting them in Parliament and shit. Um, yeah. And, like, they're polling it, I don't know, whatever it is, they're polling it too high. And, yeah, like, it is a risk it is a threat um yeah well I, I mean that's that's sort of what i'm trying to get at is like i don't know i got in a 
argument and sort of bullied a bunch of turfs out of my local vegetable market the other weekend. Um, and the reason being less because this was a fun use of my time, but more because the local National Party candidate was there doing like photo ops. And I wanted to provide an object lesson in the idea that if you go out in the open with this kind of rhetoric, you don't get a good photo op, you don't get to enjoy your morning, you actually get back in your car going, oh god that was harrowing wasn't it like and because the thing is is you know like again with this sort of incredibly risky kind of election situation right now the idea to me of not not showing up in some way shape or form from a strategic perspective is it's just abandonment of, of the trans community to a certain extent because like literally this is the point in time when we have to make it very obvious to these you know different sorts of politicians who ultimately are people struggle though i may to admit it um that like yeah you don't you don't get to enjoy this right like you don't get to have a nice day you don't get to you know you don't get to have your white shirt not be covered in tomato juice like that's from from a strategy perspective this is the most important thing to me you know like is that we are sending sending a message. And as you said, Finlay, you know, it's about getting people together. It's also about showing people who can't make it that people will show up mm. for them. Yeah. Like just on every level, it seems like this protest was a good idea. And it was, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, to be honest, Finlay, is it was just like slightly low-key transphobic that mm. because of a degree of risk, this was just seen as, you know, we can't prioritize the resources towards this. Um, you know, we are going to say that this is too dangerous and we're just going to take the L rather than try it. Um, and yeah, I don't know how else you frame that, really. I mean, it is a, it's a tactical discussion, right? And you have that constantly um, in activist spaces. There's, and I don't even mean in terms of like personal risk, but I mean in terms of like OPSEC or even mm. like comms, right? There's, there's a reason that sometimes you do protests and sometimes you don't. Like these are like complex discussions that happen mm. constantly. So I think everyone kind of, kind of gets it on some level like there's uh, a threshold both in terms of like political value and like practicality where sometimes you'll gain more by protesting than you will gain by not protesting but there seems like a very basic element of solidarity that you're kind of talking about Angela um that's like that that's the purpose right is like supporting the most like disenfranchised at risk part of the community mm. is like if there's ever a fucking time to like support a group that's it you know so it i don't know there's this there's this bizarre kind of like uh maybe gravitational pull towards inaction mm. sometimes i think in new zealand kind of lib left spaces that's just extremely frustrating where i don't know if there's if it's a kind of new zealand exceptionalism um there's an article up on one of 200 just recently about like the value of of protest as a you know as a kind of a means of non-normalization like you were saying finlay like there's, you know, there's a reason we do this. We don't, we don't just like get up in the morning and go to a protest as like a fun hangout. There's like a actual like virtue to these things, right? And it does like defend people who need it the most. And I feel like that sometimes gets lost in New Zealand. There's a kind of, yeah, it kind of New Zealand exceptionalist implicate implicatory kind of drive that's like everything will be okay in the end, you know. Um, and that's not always the case. It's not the case for people who like struggle the most and who are getting absolutely bullied by like a significant percentage of the most powerful people in the country. And that's not fucking good enough. And like people need to accept that, you know. One of the things that I think 
Tate really did well in the comms was acknowledging that like this is a rally that transphobes are holding in the center of Auckland City and it's not viable for every trans person to not be in Auckland Central like people work there people live there people's homes there there are people who are homeless who like don't have an option people who don't have access to Twitter and can't see all of these people saying like you shouldn't go it's not safe like there is trans people have lives and like their life might involve being in the CBD and there's not really anything that can be done about that so saying we just need to stay home and avoid them like is not possible for every single person and so like what do we do about that and yeah kind of abandoning people who don't have another choice is not an acceptable option in my opinion and like just building on that I mean I think that's that's the thing right is like you know without wanting to cast like incredible amounts of shade I think if you walk around the world you know like maybe uh not visibly trans is that it's very easy for you to go oh gosh this is a risk I'm gonna stay home one day and that's gonna that's gonna fix that situation for me right I mean the fact of the matter is is that demonstrations like this serve to turn up the temperature on us as trans people we are the frogs in the hot tub you know getting increasingly warm and like that's going to happen wherever we are and in fact you know like these rallies these shows of public support for those stances emboldens transphobia wherever it is and for those of us who you know don't have the luxury of not you know walking around being visibly trans like that is something that yeah we don't get to stay home i guess whether you're in auckland central because of these protests right or whether it's just like I'm the person who likes to go drink at a pub occasionally and inevitably just because, you know, history's cursed, our brains are rotted, you know, you just get to deal with this sort of shit even, you know, if you're in, you know, like some absolute sort of like lib mecca like like Newtown. It's um the <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a good story about almost getting my teeth kicked in at my like home pub in Newtown, which is why this this sort of comes to mind. And I mean to me that really demonstrates it is like yeah, this this risk exists regardless. The fact is all, you know, two two trans people at least. And if we're thinking about the risks and mitigating the risks that are faced by trans people, that's kind of the discussion that you want to have more than kind of anything else. And it's like, how do you mitigate that risk? Again, you show that this is not socially acceptable, that you can't do this in public and have a good time, that people are going to make your day miserable, that you're not going to get your fun little story about how you had a cool and awesome time and everybody thought you were great. And like the counter, you know, the, the other the other side of, I guess, like looking into a dark future is Turf Island, right? Like look at Britain. And like how normalized yeah. or don't look like, at it honestly jesus no, Christ. i think you have to look at like that's the hell no. that you could end up in in 10 years yeah. if like you know post post turf success protests like that's <laughs> what that looks like you know it's perfectly fine to be a 40 50 60 year old celebrity and like just openly be transphobic and that like gains you support if anything in a lot of those yeah. like media click circles right and that like look mm. look back in time that was not an accident like that happened mm. over a period of time through like specific like discursive successes by transphobic actors in the <clears throat> 80s and 90s and 2000s there was like a progressive attack and that's mm -hmm. like strategic success right you know if you look at it dispassionately like that is how a tiny wedge like moves the population and we're not at that point in New Zealand Aotearoa like we've done us a lot better so far and there's no reason for us to let it get that bad like we can absolutely fight back 
and the success in March felt like that, right? It felt like mm-hmm. the community turning up and being like, you know what? Fuck you. This isn't good enough. Like we're on your side and like the community here is not the same as as it is presented as, you know, the silent quote unquote silent minority is actually on your side. You know, that's the like solidaristic impulse that was like expressed there. So that's the like interesting tactical difference, right? Where yeah. like it's like apathy apathy can be a good thing when it comes to like actually the the ones who are quote unquote like weird and abnormal are the transphobes like those are the freaks in society and it's disgusting that like you know the winston peters scissors of the world can like go around pretending that it's the other way around right but it's it's setting that discursive frame that these guys are in fact weird little freaks um Mm -hmm. and that they're, they're, they're sad and they're pathetic and no one finds what they have to say compelling but i just want to go back to what you were saying Philip about Turf Island is that like I think a lot of it's actually way more recent than that and I've been thinking about this the other night and this is this is actually what scares me in terms of like historical inflection points is that actually Britain's gotten real shit over the 2010s Mm. like that, that that has been the window in which that's primarily happened right like you had a pretty average but nonetheless progressive gender recognition act passed under Blair in the early 2000s you had like um Hayley Cropper on Coronation Street, <laughs> the first, first trans woman I was ever exposed to in media, um, who, you know, like you had these sympathetic sort of depictions starting, starting to grow. And then even in the early 2010s when like Cameron was in government, right? Like you had, um, I mean, this is why Penny Morden never had a look in for, for the leadership race after Boris got rolled is because in what, like 2011, she accidentally said something along the lines of maybe if there was a self-ID law, you know, like the sky wouldn't fall. And then, you know, fast forward like 12 years when she's running for the leadership of the Conservative Party, that gets dragged up. She gets like five straight headlines of that and has run out of the race, even though she'd since changed her mind and been like, fuck trans people, I don't like them. But like, yeah, that's the thing is that these things change really, really quickly. And in terms of historical inflection point, I do wonder if we are not perilously close to where Britain was in the early 2010s. In that, you know, we have had advances, you know, we've actually gone further than than the British ever managed to in terms of, you know, legislative sort of social protection and things like that. Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, like, again, looking at um, the Conservative or the Labour Party in the UK, you can see how quickly that turns around when there's a big recession and some stupid political issue like Brexit. Um, and you know, like this is the thing is that the I don't know I, I I suspect that all of these black swan events are not going to stop occurring, and I do think that this is what we maybe need to think about is that yeah like okay so again like let's say worst case scenario in October we get a national act government um, they're probably going to do things like cut down the speed at which um, the Department of Internal Affairs works, which is going to negatively impact trans people. Like that's that's probably just going to happen out of their normal public service cuts, right? But then what happens when you know there's an actual fucking recession, not a slightly slightly sort of hallucinated one, um, right? And they, you know, they need to start finding scapegoats, and mm-hmm. they need to start for, because you know they can never go. Like, Mr. Business Guy is never going to go back on himself and be like, oh, actually, it turns out I'm shit at this whole business and money malarkey, right? Like, that's never going to happen. They are inevitably going to need to find an other. Um, and I do do worry, having had these advances and then sort of having these, like, looming storm clouds of political discourse on the right at the moment, 
if you know like britain isn't maybe a a, a vision of the future through a glass darkly to a certain yeah. extent yeah i think it's something that sometimes when we focus on a specific uh set of issues the wider strategic significance is, is lost like we, we very much know that trans rights is being used as a wedge issue by the far right and by Christian extremists. Like this is very well documented at this point. It is about finding another in the community that politicians can hang their recession on, right? Like as mm. a- alongside all the like specific directed bigotry. Um, yes, yeah. And we did see it in March. Um, you know, you're saying it can, it can turn quite fast. We saw a whole range of like, what who you call household media names who are happy to take the side of um of the transphobes um and to kind of even go beyond some of this faux free speech shit to quite full-throatedly kind of come out against trans rights they they went to ground pretty quickly um in the weeks after the the turnout for the march protest um a few of them like rachel smalley um talked about how it was violent and and shit like this but very quickly um just stopped those those ideas though those ideals that those Mm. specific people in media and politics have they don't go away they still believe this shit they're still (laughs) going to be happy to to use this expediently to the extent that they believe anything right well absolutely absolutely does does rachel smalley believe a single thing i'm not entirely certain but i think you're, you're you're right is that What's the point? It just demonstrates that they can do this shit and they they can pump out these opinion pieces. And, you know, like they went to ground because it turns out that, you know, the tides of social progress were against them this time. Um, But again, fast forward two, three years, you know, like interest rates, let's say they've gone up towards 10%, right? Like all of a sudden the tides of social progress may be moving in a different direction. And, you know, it's clearly they have, you know, people like Rachel Smalley have demonstrated that they have no issue with just churning out absolutely bigoted dog shit um, in, in, in order to try to get an audience and win an audience. Um, in order so, to try yeah, and become the uh, chief press sec for the ACT Party. <laughs> oh, God, really? Yeah, absolutely. She applied for it and didn't get it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess one thing I want to be kind of, like, explicit about is, like, we've kind of brought it up a little bit, but, like, it, there was nothing about the protest... In, and I don't believe this was what you were suggesting, but like there was nothing about the protests that caused like this sort of stuff to happen. Like it's not the fault of the protest that the media were like, oh, actually, we don't like trans people anymore. Like that wasn't like, yeah, none of it. it the reverse of anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, and I think that's kind of been something that's been brought up. Like, oh, well, transphobia got worse after this. And it's like, you're really blaming like the far right doing far right shit on the people they're attacking, which is like victim blaming and respectability politics and like really has awful implications for kind of everything and everyone. Like you're setting up a situation where people can't do anything to defend themselves, even like gather in large groups and not really do anything other than make noise. And like that Mm. is still sort of an attack. And like that wasn't, yeah, like, this protest as well that's just happened, like that's not responsible for anything that a transphobe does now. Like they mm. would have done, they were always going to do something and they're going to use whatever happens to their own advantage. And whether it was like, if nobody showed up, they still would have done shit, I guess. is kind yeah. of my point. No, yeah. they would have. And I think that frame of analysis is really like 
snatching defeat from the jaws of victory in a lot of ways because it's like yeah you did a incredibly successful we did an incredibly successful kind of protest in march um you know like the number of upper middle class white ladies from my workplace who were like yo i blocked up and secretly went to the protest um was not <laughs> which like i just never would have expected something like that right like actually we we showed up and we demonstrated that you know like no, this this shit doesn't fly. You don't get to do this and have a nice day. And then the people who, you know, lost out on that were really fucking sore about that, right? Like, you know, it turns out that actually the country disagrees with them entirely um, mm. and that they don't get to win their day. Those people are inevitably going to, you know, like have a reaction to that. There's going to be backlash to that. But to me, the fact that it's like concentrated amongst a group of small mm. sick freaks, um, yeah. And, like, to an extent that it is vitriol, to the extent that it was, demonstrates that you did well, you know? Like, yeah. if they were just like, oh, yeah, these, you know, these people turned up and, you know, nobody cared and everybody thought they were a group of weirdos and, you know, like, da 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 da, da there would be no need for mm-hmm. people to, you know, like, turn up the dial in the way that they did, right? Like, or at least in the sort of targeted way that they did i i do think like i don't think it's blaming the the protest to say that people are shit losers a lot of the time yeah and that there there is a degree of shit loserdom in yeah. in some of the transphobia i think that we saw post the post the counter protest was just you know people who are starting to realize that their hold on you know the gender systems that they envision for Aotearoa, right? Like the you know weird sort of imagined 1950s past that they're trying to get back to for Aotearoa, that that is slipping away at a fundamental mm-hmm. level, and people lash out when they feel like that, I guess. Um, so yeah, and again to to then turn around and go, oh gosh, well this has made it too dangerous, as opposed to seeing this as like actually a key indicator of success. <laughs> <laughs> to a certain extent like we should want them to be a little bit triggered right um is yeah again sort of just snatching defeat from the from the jaws of victory too that's so that's so true um and a hey, totoko uh finlay that was such a like you smashed that point i, I completely agree with what you're saying um and angela the same like if you know if the if the transphobes are, are comfortable you're doing protest wrong right like they should be they should be sad and having a bad time like that's that's the purpose of fighting back against the revanchist like socially conservative impulse is like they should be uncomfortable as they should always be in term, in in order to progress like social social welfare and you know support minorities like that's that's what that means we're not we're not all on the same side some of these people are against us and that's okay to like to admit you know but yeah to like the 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 greater point that is like the normalization of success right that's that's what a win feels and looks like so yeah i just think it's like a, a point to celebrate and the the difference between like correlation and causation right there yes there was like a, a backlash and a lashing out of the transphobic community after the protest but that wasn't because the protest happened. That would have happened, as you said, Finlay, regardless of, you know, what happened. That's what happens when you get a transphobic speaker into the country to, like, you know, build up antipathy and create social division. Like, that's her job. That's how she, that's her grift, you know? That's what she does. So, of course, you're going to get that. But it, because thousands and thousands of people stood up and was like, this isn't good enough, that, if anything, like, normalized the fact that those people are the weirdos, like we've been saying this whole time, and allowed most media figures to 
other the opinions of the people that Carl was talking about, you know, the smallies, the the people who do have those like low-key, sometimes high-key <laughs> transphobic opinions and would love to make that a bigger deal. If they were on Turf Island, they would probably, you know, be writing think pieces in The Guardian every week. But we we can say that's not that's not okay, right? We're still we're still I at the point. I was just gonna say the Guardian's is like ramping up its New Zealand coverage at the moment. Philip, please don't tempt. Oh, me. that's a great point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm creating. I'm looking through a glass darkly and creating the future. Yeah, step away from the wave of heaven turns. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this, for some reason it never comes into the conversation of, you know, maybe it would have been worse. You know, like if if mm. people hadn't stood up. Maybe if transphobes didn't know that there was this much support for trans rights, they would have felt more empowered. Like this is, you know, <laughs> this is how like mm. the politics of power works um, when people are trying to normalize hate. Um, and, you know, we talk about sarcastic terrorism on here a fair amount, um, given what's happening in New Zealand politics. It applies here as well. Uh, one last thing just on this topic um, that I wanted to touch on before we move on to the rest of the week's current events is this idea I've been seeing coming out in some of the discourse and it has to do with the visibility of the protest and, oh, maybe that's drawing like like more antipathy and this frankly absurd idea around assimilation um, as a strategy as opposed to visible protest um, and pushback on anti-trans ideas. And you were talking about this earlier in the week, Finlay. Yeah, this, I guess, sort of the idea that we can compromise and compromise and compromise. And actually, historically, that's how we win, which is not particularly historically accurate. <laughs> um, and the example I used was the like decriminalization of gay sex. And for a long time, people were like, there was arguments within um, like the queer community, like within New Zealand of like, well, like maybe it's pushing too far to be the same as straight people. Maybe if it's just decriminalized for men who are over 21 and rather than you know, having the same age of consent as straight people do and like that was a fight for a long time and the reason that the laws for gay people having sex is the same as straight people having sex is because it wasn't the assimilationists and like the the kind of eternally compromising kind of people who won um it was the people who were pushing for more radical uh at least at the time for more radical gains i guess they a lot of people there was just no support for the kind of half measure bills of, you know, having a age of consent in the twenties because it was like, like, this isn't actually like, this isn't really a win. Like this is not, yeah, this is not giving us like, we can push for so much more and we can. And if we do, like we do win and we're in like a much better position after we do that than if we do this kind of, I guess, like incrementalism sort of thing well it's just crap bargaining strategy isn't it like (laughs) yeah it it is it's like you know you're 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 in adversarial negotiation with again it's an adversarial negotiation right this is Mm. not um power that's necessarily loving you to to begin with and inevitably it is a negotiation right like Mm -hmm. between between those who are disempowered and, and the interests of power there is always a degree of negation and a sort of balance that gets struck even in you know like protest movements and things like that and to go like okay well because we are going to have to inevitably you know 
like reached some compromise in terms of I don't know not abolishing straight people um for example right like (laughs) that because of that we're going to just like completely like cut ourselves off and be like oh well you know we won't get everything we'll ask for so we're not going to ask for anything that's worth like objection it's it's yeah and that yeah I like totally and I agree with like it is it's ahistorical to suggest that like the way to win is to wait for the majority to agree with you like you can (laughs) change the narrative right that like you know look at the polling on support for Martin Luther King while he was alive everyone hated him like that's okay that's your job you know you shouldn't be the person who 51% of the population support if you're an activist what like, do you want to get why are you an activist <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's what presidents and prime ministers are for like you should you should follow public opinion if you're a coward but if you're like a brave truth teller you you shouldn't be supported by that much of the population otherwise you probably haven't gone far enough you know that's just it's just tactics right it's honestly not that complicated. People are way overthinking this stuff, I think. But yeah, Totoko, uh, Angela, smash, smashing it. Um, and I think it just comes down to the visibility stuff, right? Like, mm. yeah, most of the time when you're having sex, you're not doing it in public. <laughs> yeah. But most yeah. of the time when you're existing, Skill you are doing it in your public. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Well, I mean, different strokes. Um, uh, different strokes. Yeah, well, Pig shaming from 1 to 200. <laughs> <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> But yeah, mo- most of the time when you're existing as a human, you are having to do it in public. And that's what this this hate movement is really about, is mm. ensuring that trans people are not able to comfortably exist in public, if at all. Mm. And I think that somehow ends up getting lost a lot of the time. It's fucked. What what do, um, you know, having having been at that uh, protest midweek, Finlay, what do you hope to see in 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 this space, um, kind of as we move into the end of the election campaign? And if, uh, as Angela was talking about, we do get a a right wing government that is happier to engage with this bigotry. Yeah, I guess I'm holding out for the Greens Te Pāti Māori coalition to lead us. <laughs> oh, please. Um, but yeah, I think still kind of increasing the pressure on the government and on um, just the yeah, people as well to like actually really be making sure that we don't go backwards on this or really on anything else. Um, but like if we're talking specifically about trans people that like we don't lose the rights that we've gained, that we don't lose access to healthcare, we don't um, yeah, have this increasingly dangerous environment that people have to exist in that like everything is always going to be um you know the most hostile to trans women to maori to pacifica to people who are poor like those are the people who are going to be like suffering the most and like we need to make sure that we really deal with this um and i think yeah i don't want to be like it'll be fine if national get in because I don't know that that's the case, but I think that we can keep pushing and I think we can still like ultimately like, yeah, we can still win even if we have a more hostile enemy than like we would have hoped, I guess. Um, Yeah. And like protest is part of that. And even if we can't make changes with the government, like we can make changes like in how our communities operate where transphobes do not feel like there is an option for them to have a rally you know like we can make those differences even if some of the bigger stuff is a lot harder all right on to stuff that i care less about like the political debates and the economy you didn't find them uh exciting and moving (laughs) i found them 
trash and garbage for the most part. I like so there are two there are two big debates this week. Um, one with the major party leaders debate. It was Chris and Chris, ha ha ha. Lots of Chris and Chris jokes. Um, just imagine that I made a whole bunch. <laughs> um, and then the other one was uh, what they're calling the power brokers. Very good framing uh, from News Hub, uh, where they had the uh, leaders, co-leaders of at the Greens, uh, Te Pāti Māori and New Zealand first on the stage. There are actually some good bits in that. Like there, there was value to that, but it really underlined the fact that everyone should be on the same stage together. There's absolutely no way in this society that the two major parties should be allowed to do whatever the fuck they were doing on Tuesday night. It was, a, I, I didn't watch it live, but I was following it. I've seen a bit of it after, uh, since. Just fucking bleak. I, I, I mean, there's a reason why Labour are so low in the polls, and there's no reason why National are so high in the polls, um, based on the le- the leadership of that party. Like both yeah. absolute blamanges of humanity. Just nothing to give. Did anyone actually watch that one? Oh, I'm so I, sorry, I, Angela. I did. I think I described it to you and Finlay in the chat as like. I've I've had migraines that felt more inspirational and <laughs> I I truly had like it it was bleak. Um the the moderation was terrible. The um set design was insane in and of itself, right? Like they had this whole you know, everything is literally divided down the middle into these two blocks. We 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 have a proportional representation system, guys. Like, come on. Um, you know, like that was that was particularly particularly like just like a fun bit of environmental storytelling that I enjoyed. But yeah, it was um it was again um snatching well, it's not really snatching defeat from the jaws of victory when you are not doing super well in the polls to begin with. <laughs> but um no, I mean like on the one hand you had yeah, Luxon had like prepped, like he'd clearly prepped, and like the I don't know if they'd gotten new prep people to come in, or if um I don't know they just made him drink like ten cups of coffee before he went out. But he like he he stuck to it, like he did a good job. Um, from from a from a disgusting sort of objecting kind of media comms perspective, I he he did a good job. He was compelling. He stayed on message. Um, you know he he was like quite assertive. Um. All, all these sorts of things. Um, and it certainly didn't hurt that he was getting questions like, oh, can you, you know, like just characterize like all economic spending over the last six years of government. And then instead of getting right of reply, the moderator would then turn to Hipkins and be like, how did it personally affect you when you were the minister of COVID-19 response? Which was like a real question that they asked at one point, which was just genuinely like, okay, I mean, again, I'm not, you know, like a, a a media impresario, but generally, like right of reply is a thing that you have. You don't rights. have to be, honestly, at this point. Um, like, well, you, you fucking don't, right? You really don't. And I mean, so like you sort of had on the one side, like the you know, like president business had prepped really well, um, had had like clearly you know showed up ready ready for it. Um, you had just terrible moderation. And then on the other side, you had Chris Hipkins being like, I don't want to be mean, you know? And like, to me, that was, that was insane. Like he actually went on this bit as like, oh, we're both lovely guys and da, 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 da. And it's like, I don't know that like, firstly, again, Jacinda has left the building 
quite some time ago. And the kindness thing was always a lie. Like, firstly, there's, you know, you don't need to be kind. This isn't your party's brand anymore. If anything, people want to see you, like, get your teeth out a little bit. And, you know, like, Hipkins was the Labour Party whip for, like, the better part of a decade, right? Like, that man knows how to physically injure people with the power <laughs> of words. Um, and that he chose not to was was an interesting decision, I thought. <laughs> And yeah. it didn't seem authentic, right? I, I watched it. Also. Um, and it, it felt wrong because, like, I I don't know, you may disagree with me, but I, I do agree with, like, establishment media perspective that, like, Chris Hipkins can be, like, a brutally effective debater when he's mm. being vicious. Like, he's not yeah. a Jacinda or a Grant. Like, he, he won't, no. like, establish a kind vision, but he will fucking destroy someone when he needs to, you know? And he the fact that he didn't just felt off. Like, who is this guy? I've never met this guy before. What we've been, what we've seen of him for the last twenty years has been like a destructive attack dog. Like I, it, it's a hack line, but I do agree. Like he is an effective attack dog. He's kind of a pit bull. Like he will rip your leg off when he needs to, and he felt like he was extremely on the leash, which was just like, mate, you're not playing to your strengths. It's the rhetorical version of of saying you're not going to do a wealth tax. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Like yes, there's a exactly. whole bunch of stuff available to Labour and to Hipkins that, for whatever reason, whoever's doing strategy just is, true, is saying, "Lana, nah, don't mate, just don't, now nah, don't use anything uh, that we've just got lose. on the table. Just lose, just lose. Just, uh, have I you thought about pre- losing? I would prefer not to. It's that version, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, I wonder <laughs> if if they hadn't got some real like card game brain person in as their strategy wonk, and they're like, "But if we call Nazir on this hand, guys, then we get no points." <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Actually, like we're in, we're in with a real chance. Yeah. Nobody. One one weird trick. Electoral strategists hate it, but if you get less than ten percent as a major party, you actually win the election. Look, I think I've actually got the cards to go open hand here. Um... Open hand is there. Yeah. <laughs> Depressing. It's um. Well, this is. Come to one of two hundred for incredibly niche um, old people card game <laughs> jokes. Fuck off! I'm cool. <laughs> you look, cool, we, we've all played. Here, I so. assume. I assume we've all played. <laughs> I know Philip has Finlay. Do you play five hundred? Yeah, yeah, I have. Wow, we've got horrible! A, we've got it. We've got a table right here. We should probably start <laughs> next next um, time we're doing. I always try for Mazir, but I've never actually never That's done it. Best. But I think if I do, it'll really be a moment. <laughs> a Hipkins ass moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Hipkins didn't win. Hipkins didn't win it. Um, Hipkins was he like, hasn't won it yet. Yeah, he opens. <laughs> he opens with the high card and just immediately loses the hand. Oh, <laughs> wait, oh, oh, wait. What am I thinking? <laughs> um, I was just, I was just hoping that my partner had all the high hearts. How embarrassing! <laughs> Damn. Table talk. Uh, failed again. Um, but yeah, it, it does. It feels like uh, there's absolutely nothing there you know Jacinda left saying she had nothing in the tank Hipkins it feels like he's pretending there's nothing in the tank at at best um and yeah I like there has to be a shift there absolutely has to be a shift because we know that people hate Christopher Luxon that that's not why National is polling well they're polling well everyone's saying it's because of the vibe um they want to change Labour has to show something that looks like a change it can be it can be a fake you know, like they're already lying. They're already being disingenuous. <laughs> just lie and be disingenuous in a different way. Like if third way politics is about just fucking winning and it doesn't matter how, then fucking do it. Like, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, bro, and, and most of your voters won't either. 
the only people who are going to care are like diehard national supporters and the national party will be like oh i think they're not being 100 percent honest they're saying that anyway no one cares just like do something fucking do something mm-hmm. um and it's i don't not think like you'll be- I don't think anyone really believes that any political party is being honest, right? Like, even, you know, there's always, like, a part of it's like, well, you know, they say things, then they do what they want, like... Then they do nothing. And then they do nothing, of course. <laughs> but, but you know, it's really hard when you've got a majority and you can pass any bill you want. Oh, so like, <laughs> just oh, the, the decision fatigue, what are we going to do? Well, particularly when you've ruled out anything that people like right like that's when it gets really hard because you're like oh gosh here we are we've got you know a super majority in parliament um what are we going to do well we're not going to legalize weed we're not going to do anything for house prizes you know like and then at that point you know that's when it gets real real wacky and you're like what if what if we gave blackrock just a gigantic tax tax shelter (laughs) what if we did that wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? What if we basically took the economy public via SPAC deal with BlackRock? Like, you know, and this is the, that's the real fatigue, I think, is the decision fatigue you get when you're trying to find decisions to make because you've ruled out all of the good ones. Um, that's, that's where it gets real tricky. And I do feel for them. I had a lot of This sense. is why they should just lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, just make I mean, shit up. I used, I used to say uh, you have to give it to David Seymour, but I won't say that anymore because I think he's running a terrible campaign and yeah, his party's right, collapsing. But now I'm going to say you have to give it to James Shaw because I think oh, he was no, worse, a, no, completely, a completely different neoliberal from a different party who, after the finance whatever debate in Queenstown, said when he was asked about like tax cuts and adding up and fiscal responsibility and stuff, he was like, voters don't care about that. They they want to know about tax cuts. And he's right. Like. It's true. Voters voters aren't going to not vote for a party because their plans, quote unquote, don't add up. A made up concept that a country with a triple A rating from like lending fucking, you know, right wing hard think tanks fucking give us. Yeah. I mean, not just that. Yes. And but also every fucking rating agency gives us amazingly high, uh, you know, reliability of payback scores, meaning that we haven't borrowed enough if you know if, if i was <laughs> if i was a finance minister i would be apologizing for getting a triple a rating from standard yeah why is this not like, an a that means that means that i haven't borrowed enough to fix the problems in the country you know that's that's fucking embarrassing so yeah i i was like wow great point james sure someone's been someone's changed their tune well the greens have like at least responded <laughs> somewhat to that uh public need for something which is it's just nice to see i still think it's too late um, but in, in stark contrast to the major party leaders debate, the uh, minor parties, the power brokers debate, I, I, I do like they call it a power brokers debate rather than the minor parties debate. You know, that's that's OK. I'm, I'm OK with that decision. There was like far more energy. And this is something we've been saying as well. Like the energy is on the on the wings at the moment. The person with the least energy was David Seymour by a long shot. He sucked. He he is a fucking garbage. He's so bad at what he does. He always kind of has been, but has been given such an easy ride for so long that it's ironed that out. As soon as he's had the, he had some very minor challenges um, on the stage on Thursday night and just couldn't deal with it, man. Like, especially like if he's come up against Winston Peters. Um, but then Marama shut him down um, numerous times. Rebecca Wright was like, stop talking. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It was much better television. You know, it was, there were some good moments. There were some moments where I was like, 
<laughs> fuck that was good. <laughs> that was good i was glad i watched that um because this was politicians being politicians as mm. opposed to just being some kind of blank edifice uh, that's been put on a podium. Um, that's what I want to see. I want to know where people stand on shit, even if they are fuckers, because at least we can make a, a better decision about it. And seeing the left-wing parties getting to actively push back on fuckerisms was also good, because you're like, oh, these people are on my side, um, mm. even if they maybe are lying a little bit. Although I don't think um, Marama or Debbie were um, really being disingenuous. I yeah. think, yeah, Te Pate Māori have been, particularly on justice, have been really, really good at, like, you know, there are, you know, there are prison abolitionists within the Greens, but Te Pate Māori are like, no, we're actually going to say this. And we can see that, you know, last term, Labour were, you know, like, relatively open to be like, hey, prisons don't work, we need to change the way we talk about this, we need to do something differently, whether or not that was ever, like, their intention is kind of a different thing, but like there was at least like the rhetoric. But yeah, Te Pāti Māori are coming out and saying like, no, like we need to abolish prisons. Prisons don't work. We need something else. And it is particularly with like the way that the like tough on crime stuff has like really swung very hard towards the ineffective tough on crime stuff. <laughs> like that pushback is like it's excellent. It's really really good. I'm really it, glad that they're doing it. Hundred percent. And there was a third debate uh, that. We don't need to really talk about, but there was a uh, quote-unquote law and order debate on RNZ this week with a spokesperson from different parties. And like two things that I think fit into this narrative really interestingly is one, by far the standout and probably really the only person that performed like admirably in that debate was John Tamahiri from the Māori Party, and he absolutely crushed it. Like I think he did a really good job of a synthesis between like prison abolition and kind of a left populist position. <laughs> Where like on radio, you probably don't want to say the first thing I'm going to do is let all the prison all the prisoners out, right? That's not like a comsy line that a politician's going to say. So I think he did. I think he did a pretty good job in like a tough environment. And the other interesting thing about it is that ACT didn't send anyone, and that Damn. is one of their main platforms is tough on crime, right? They are campaigning on tough on crime. They want to spend a billion dollars on more prisons. They didn't have anyone ready for a debate on crime issues. Winston was there. John Tamahiri was there. Like, they were big hitters. Jenny uh, Anderson, the Minister of Justice, was there. And Axe was nowhere to be seen. So, like, I don't it's know. It's not a serious was... party, eh? Just absolutely not a serious party. They've got... Their campaign is a joke. It's insane. I think they'll still do well because they've, like, created a structure that we've discussed before that I think is, like, the right place at the right time. But it is incredible how bad their campaign has been <laughs> considering how strong a movement they made in the last three years. And how much money they have. Yes, exactly. Well, that's all we've got to say about the debates. Uh, oh, unless... No, 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 no. I'm not going to not talk about the minor parties debate. That, that was fascinating. Uh, <laughs> Martima, I thought, crushed it. I, I know everyone's saying it, but uh, it takes a lot to impress me from a Green Party leader. And like that's the best I've seen, probably, in any minor parties debate ever. Even the she, panel had to admit it, which is like... He was of. amazing. Yeah. I mean, Fran O'Sullivan... Oh, was like almost biting her own tongue off in order to not say that she was the best. But it was just so clear that Marama won that debate with like flying colors. Like I, I didn't think Debbie was great to be honest. I love Debbie as an MP. I don't think she was at her best. Um, but it's hard to, you know, if if Marama's on like flying form, it's hard to keep up with her, right? Um, and then yeah, David Seymour was like one of the weakest I've ever seen him. He 
like they were right. He lost the crowd. People got bored of him talking, which I don't think I've ever seen before. He just was droning on, man. There's nothing there. It was the definition of like enough rope to hang himself, right? Like he started talking and people were like, wait, is he still saying the same thing? Like (laughs) even in the quickfire round, people were like, the crowd was embarrassing yourself. It's over. It's over. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And then Winston was like, I don't think he has the juice anymore. Like he has like slowed down. He was the same thing in the uh, in the justice debate. Like he's he's a performer. Like he is still an amazing politician. Politician, you know, in in quote marks. He has all the politician skills, but the energy is just is fading. I think like the headlights are, are kind of dying out. So he's you like can see hundred years old. Exactly, his his lich powers are, are finally coming to an end and being like cut through. Right, it's impressive. So, but it was it was awesome to see like. Marama just absolutely like smoking them and like centrists and I think probably center right people would have to admit that as well and the only the only comments I've seen on on social media that have been like criticizing that that perspective have had the most like crying behind glasses emoji uh energy I've ever seen on social <laughs> media <laughs> uh, fucking Erica Stanford getting on uh breakfast yeah. or whatever it was like oh blah 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 like okay <laughs> like Wow, National pretty spooked by this, right? And I think it's really testament to the Greens finally allowing their politicians to do some populism properly. Mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, this is why Davidson was elevated to co-leader in the first place. Mm-hmm. This is like why she came and joined the Greens is because she's so good in those activist spaces. Like if you ever met her at a protest or um, you know, at something with the community, she's fantastic. And it really feels like over the last two terms, particularly, um, while she's been the co-leader, she's been muted she's had to run a line that does not always match up with the way she presents herself um within those communities and at this debate it felt like that wasn't the case at all she was really allowed to just be herself um which is again i just wish they'd been doing this for longer like the greens could be at 20 percent. fuck okay debate debate talk over debate talk over um that's enough <laughs> of that uh the final thing um before we wrap up the all the stuff about the economy came out this week. Oh, look, we weren't really in a recession, not even a technical recession. And now things are looking up quite a lot. Um, there is actual growth happening. And it just struck me, you know, how heavily the narrative has been framed around treating this technical recession, which is like minus 0.1% or something that wasn't even like confirmed as a full-on recession, like the messaging from National Act is like, oh, everyone's doing it so tough. And all the media were like, oh my God, we're in a recession. This is going to destroy everything. Everyone's going to tighten their belts. All the while, and and especially like this kind of appeal to the vibe, right? Like, which is this this year's version of the appeal to the, of, to Middle New Zealand or to Itakari Man. It's like, oh, but people are just going to feel like it's tough out there. But none of the people in the National Party are feeling it tough right now. None of them are. And most of the like middle upper class voters aren't either. You know, I'm distinctly middle class. Uh and I guess I don't buy as much Lego. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I, I have a house and I eat food. You know, and I, that's there are people doing it really, really fucking hard, but they are working class and, and they are lower middle class. And National has been trying to ride those people's vibe um, and try and do this shit like, oh, I'll get to go to the cinemas now with my $80 yeah, a fortnight. Yeah, I was just going to say, please please help me budgeting in, in this economy. I've got, like, you know, food, mortgage, 
$25,000 on pantsuits every, every month. <laughs> you know, somebody please send me a financial advisor. I can't afford to spend time with my children. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's very clear how disingenuous it is, but mm. because of this narrative that's been built up and like all these economist commentators who are wrong 90% of the time and keep getting the fucking headlines um, have been building this framework where National is like, okay, cool, we'll sit in that. We'll just make shit up. We'll just pretend to be the everyman. No one like in in their like in their class is is feeling this shit it's just all bullshit um and likewise none of their policies are really going to help the people at the bottom like they're, they're talking about relief for the upper middle classes and like the fucking landowners you know mm-hmm. it's it doesn't make sense and i'm really hoping that you know with this data out there that starts to shift and be like, oh, actually, it's not so bad. And we've seen a couple of uh, situations, even in the media, where that is starting to shift. This week, David Seymour was doing a walk around Rimuera, and every time he went to a store, he's like, oh, it must be pretty tough. And the store owner was like, nah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> people have been coming in and buying my stuff all the time. Um, and it, it, the journalist even called out, like, he, he changed his patter over the course of the walk walkabout, like, to be like, oh, and maybe it's not so bad anymore. And people are like, oh, yeah, it's not so bad anymore. I, at the same time, the National Party has come out and is like, oh, Labour is like treating voters horribly because they really feel this way, even if the numbers say this, which has been like a constant refrain of uh, commentators and the National Party is like, oh, it doesn't really matter about the data around crime or the economy or uh, put issue oh. here. What matters about how people feel on the ground? It's the vibe of the thing, you're on. Yeah, like, but that doesn't really exist. And, well, but I mean... I don't know. Like, I think I, I think we need to engage more heavily in a vibes-based political analysis <laughs> of, of 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 the situation because, like, yes, it doesn't exist, and like, I I don't know. I just feel like, yes, it's quite funny as as like a gotcha that all of these supposed you know big brain economist geniuses type people you know both in and out of 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 the right have been like oh god we're in a recession and it's like oh no it turns out that 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 i just got scared of my own shadow like that is that is quite funny but i do i don't know i i wonder about the political utility of that as as a discussion point because the fact of the matter is is that like yeah it's it's not recession it's fucking inequality like that's that is that that is yeah. the issue that's got gotten everybody feeling terrible, right? And has got working class people feeling like they are quite rightly like they're being stomped on. That's why wealth and, has sixty percent support that came out this week. Yeah, yes, yeah, but the, but like I don't know. I feel like for for this to be useful and meaningful in any kind of way, the pivot needs to be, I guess, from like Labour and the Greens and the Party Maori is to say, yeah, well, that recession thing was 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 made up like it's not a recession what you're actually experiencing mm-hmm. is you know you personally are going hungry so that you know like nicola willis can spend twenty five thousand dollars on pantsuits a month like that's that is actually the the sort of like the shift in in rhetorical frame that kind of needs to happen because just going like oh yeah well it turns out that these math guys were wrong no, that doesn't, doesn't work get either. rid of the vibe that people yeah. are experiencing like it's 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 yeah i don't know i i I do i do worry that there might be like a little bit of i guess resting on the laurels and kind of gotcha politics Mm. particularly particularly from labor being like oh oh, oh, isn't it funny they're they're wrong and the fact of the matter is is like yeah the reason they could run on this line and people believed it is because the vibes are terrible 
and yeah. and if you're yeah. not you know like actively addressing what's making the vibes terrible which you know the Labour Party aren't um, then yeah it will I don't know it, I, like, I, agree. I think I agree. it's funny but yeah. I just it's going to be interesting to see what it means if anything yeah. No, the set, totally. The centre left isn't going to win at economist policing, right? They're yeah, not, they're not going to be. Table at someone and say, they're agree gonna, with not going to go, actually, look at this. Like, actually, look at this very specific use of fiscal responsibility. We deserve to be in government. Zero people are voting for that. Like, like we were saying before, like, you know, that's that's not why people are there. If people are if people are worried about a uh, quote unquote recession, they're worried about themselves. They're not worried about the country. It, a recession is like made up gdp nonsense right like growth is a is a fiction it's it's fine to just be like actually what are we doing for you like you as an individual not you as a country like 0.01 percent uh recession even if there were a recession doesn't matter if some people are increasing their profits by like 150 percent and some people are not getting the like living wage and aren't afford uh, can't afford like the bare necessities of life i you know it, that, that's a completely different question so I think it's it's right to reframe the question from like what is uh the correct growth amount like how are we going to reach growth how are we going to reach public surplus to like well what does private debt look like right now like let's talk about <laughs> private debt let's talk about private spending because that's the actual humans you know i i as an individual don't have a fucking triple a rating from standard and pause <laughs> you know that's a more relevant conversation that people actually care about and yeah. like we want to survive as individuals not as you know whatever kind of created commodified holes by the government this has been another strategic failure of labor like over the last yeah. six years is like trying to point at the numbers um and say but look we're right um yeah good work like <laughs> and, and you know it's yeah, not no working like the issue is we know that the vibe is created right it's a um it's a structure and it's being created by right-wing political parties, uh, people in the media, and, you know, far right-wing think tanks like the New Zealand Initiative, um, alongside a handful of bank economists, all who have incredibly vested interests in, in running particular types of uh, vibe lines. The only way you're going to get around that is by vibe hacking um, <laughs> and doing something new with it. Uh, and Labour seems completely incapable of accepting uh, the problems with the way that they've governed. But Kyle, did you know that Michael Cullen was the most effective, uh, <laughs> fiscally responsible manager of the New Zealand economy of all time? And that's why uh, I don't don't you can't see Kyle's you can't see Kyle's face, but he's dying no. inside, and I love it. <laughs> uh, I think you'll find it's actually Grant Robertson now. No, it's it's really frustrating to watch um, because again, it's there, it's there to grab. The Greens are trying, but you can't because of both that set of economic vibes. Plus the first past the uh, post uh, framework that the media just seems fucking hell bent on ensuring uh, is maintained post MMP for you know decades now. It needs to come from one of the major parties. Labor have to shift on this if they're going to actually activate their voting base. Like Greens can yell to the fucking whatever high thing that you yell to the moon, um, the stars. <laughs> um further out i don't know um but it's not going to have the same impact as if labor say hey yeah look it's tough and here's some economic populism for you like that's that's what will make or could make it a huge difference and they, they're not even promising it for 2026 you know like in the same way they're, was, they're doing these other weird little changes i was just gonna say looking looking back on their you know history of incredibly like 
powerful liberatory you know sweeping economic populist moves that they've made that we all remember very fondly right like i'm sure that there's going to be no issue in us relying on them to do that <laughs> election. Uh, well that's been another week of one two hundred <laughs> fuck everything now i like i i think a, a bit of energy was like was brought back this week um seeing uh the way that those that minor parties um debate played out I'm really hoping that can go somewhere. I'm hoping that the vibe can shift. Uh, I hope that Labour... I'm like, is this hopium? No, because I'm yes. reflecting on it. I'm reflecting on it and I understand that it is that, so it's not. Um, <laughs> Labour need to try and win this in some way and they're going to become increasingly desperate to do so. I don't think they are trying to lose. Um, they they look like they are, but I think they want to win. Um, and something will shift, um, especially if the Greens start uh, eating some of their lunch. Please. Uh, any Anything else to add? Any any other um, notices and points that anyone wants to make? Yeah, my yeah. Uh, I've I've consistently said re re election kind of prospects and hopium that like I I think Labour will outperform expectations when it comes down to the to the day, and that it'll be closer than you know the. The doomsayers say which doesn't mean they're going to win but i do i do think like they just run better campaigns they're better at making those connections nationals spending millions of dollars act spending millions of dollars and it's not gonna it's not gonna make as much difference i think as the the most kind of depressing demons on our shoulders want us to think yeah. i think labor will like not pull apparently not pull like great policy out of the bag but probably pull a better res result than we expect out of the bag and it'll be close i That's think my that's my prediction. Yeah, the hidden kind of variable here is that when Labour door knocks, they send real people to door knock. And when ACT and National door knock, they send fucking losers. Um, like David said. <laughs> and, and like, that's, you know, if anything, it's going to turn people off. But door knocking is the number one way to, you know, get people engaged and organised and, and out to vote. And I don't think ACT in particular has the capacity for that. Um, I, I, I do think National is actually quite a lot better at it than, than ACT. And they do have they do have a ground game, and they do have people connected to their communities. I, I don't think we should under underestimate that. But Labour is better at it. Angela, you had a, a final point. Yeah, just just on my notices, um, I disagree with both your hopiums. Um, there's no point in having a a good campaign infrastructure if your strategy is terrible. Labour's yours is. Please send job offers addressed to me, care of one of two hundred. Um, I think they have a PO box. <laughs> Um, thank you very much. Uh, willing to start discussions about about quantum at one fifty and move upwards from there. Awesome. <laughs> hey, look, uh, stranger things have happened than the Labour Party listening to this and then uh, taking action. Uh, Finlay, anything? Any, any final um, points from you? Just can I talk about the meat thing very quickly? Oh yes. Okay, so over half a ton of meat has been dumped in Christchurch bins over the past couple of weeks, and no one knows who's doing it. And if you're listening to this, you should, like, this is a long podcast. We don't need to talk about it. But you should, like, I don't know what's going on. If you have a lead, get in touch. Info at yeah. 1200.nz. Uh, Great. Thank you. I think that was really important to, mm. to me, add me, 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 me. And they don't but know what kind of meat it is, a, and they don't know where it came from. It's, it's such an exciting mystery. Yeah. Uh, well, that's been another episode of 1200 Current Events. We've got the Pledge Me link in the summary. We've got one week to go. We're at 3000 out of $5,000. Just 2000 more needed, and we can do some cool shit. Uh, so go and look at that, see what we've got uh, on offer, see what we're planning to do, uh, and give us as much money as you want. That'd be really great. Uh, really important to have independent and progressive media 
uh, I think we do stuff that no one else does. I like, no, I don't even think it. I know. Uh, we we have some of the best analysis, some of the best critique, um, and we are platforming experts that no one else is platforming uh, and adding things to the conversation that most establishment media are uncomfortable uh, doing at best. So really important that we are able to grow and organize um, and undertake some of the projects that we are looking to do. That's been us. Uh, we might have a couple of midweek uh, episodes recording next week so keep an eye out for those uh hopefully uh one about the economy um with an economist um and uh, another one about neoliberal institutionalism uh with a couple of experts so that should be fantastic otherwise we'll catch you for current events game next week offices are denied Living a pointless life, but I'm learning all your lessons. Fucking politics is no distinction. The words apart now is paid with good intentions. And I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say when they quote this as a cost we ought to stay. Cause I live amongst the people every day. And this vindictive forget.